Good. Okay, good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to see each and every one of you here today. As we kick off this rehearsal for heaven together, will you stand with me, please? And let's worship the Lord. Let's sing, everybody. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, He holds the victory. And there's joy. And die in the house of the Lord. Shout out your praise and join the 
yes, we do. We shout. Shout on your free. Shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Amen. I am so thankful for that, and I'm so thankful for the message of this next song here. Our God, this is our God who loves and saves and restores and redeems. That is the God that we serve. Amen. Remember those walls that we call sin and shame. They were like prisons that we couldn't escape. But he came, and he died, and he rose. Those walls are rubble now. Remember those giants we called death and grave. They were like mountains that stood in our way. But he came, and he died, and he rose. Those giants are dead now. This is our God. This is who he is. He loves us. This is our God. This is what he does. He saves us. He bore the cross, beat the grave. Let heaven and earth proclaim, this is our God, King Jesus. We remember, remember that fear that took our breath away. They so weak that we could barely pray. But he heard every word, every whisper. Now those altars in the wilderness Tell the story of His faithfulness Never once did He fail And He never will and this is This is our God This is who He is He loves us This is our God This is what He does Our God, this is who He is. He loves. 
that God loves us is one that we really can't hear enough of because there's voices inside us voices outside us telling us the opposite that we're and and we can feel unlovable sometimes right but his love for us and his acceptance of us is not based on our performance it's just based on who he is and he is love I've got a friend. Sing with me now. Closer than a brother. There is no judgment of how he loves me. I've got a friend. He is. He is my strength. He is my portion. With me in the valley. With me in the fire, with me in the storm. So let all my life, let all my life testify. Sing it. Hallelujah. We are not alone. God really loves us. Yes, He does. God really loves us. Hallelujah. Oh, praise my soul. God really loves us. Oh, yes, He does. God really loves us. His mercy. His mercy is enough. His grace is sufficient. So come if you're needing forgiveness or healing. His mercy is enough. This is our hope. The cross it has spoken. Death is no more. Christ is the Lord, this is our hope. Hallelujah, we are not alone. God really loves us. God really loves us. Hallelujah. Oh, praise. Oh, yes, it does. God really loves 
Yesterday, we celebrated Matt's birthday. Um, can I say it? Can I say it? The big 5 um, But we had a fun time getting him a few gifts. And um, wh- why did we get him gifts? Well, we give him gifts because we love him and because we think about him often and we want him to know how special he is and how we really, really love him. And that is how God is with us. And so let's just look at a few of the gifts that God has given us. In Romans chapter 5, we see the gift of forgiveness and righteousness. It says this, 
But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through the other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it and will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. What a gift. In the book of Ephesians, we see the gift of salvation. God saved us by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Or we are God's master, for we are God's masterpiece, and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he's planned for us long ago. And finally, in Acts chapter 1, we see the gift of the Holy Spirit. Once when he, Jesus, was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he has promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. God gives good gifts to his children. Gifts are an expression of love. God's gifts are expression of this this everlasting love. And this morning, we get to celebrate communion because of the gift of forgiveness, the gift of righteousness, and the gift of salvation given to us through Jesus Christ. When we take communion, the bread and the juice symbolize what Jesus did for us. The bread is a symbol of his body that was given for us, and the juice is a symbol of his blood that was spilled out to pay for our sins. And when we partake of communion, we are declaring by Jesus' blood and only by his blood that we are forgiven. Communion helps us to never forget the gifts given to us through Jesus. He came to earth, lived a sinless life, and then died for our sins. And in so doing, he gifted us forgiveness, righteousness, and salvation. So right now, we are going to, to get the elements to take communion. And I'm going to ask that this side come to my right and this side to my left. And then once you get the elements, we'll take communion together. And this morning when we come forward, I would like, to, I would like you to thank God for his wonderful gifts freely given to us and recognize how much God really, really, really loves us. The cross is spoken. Death is no more. And Christ is Lord. What a gift. What a gift. So um, I'm going to ask everyone to go ahead and come forward. And again, once you have your elements, we'll partake of communion together. So we're looking forward this time.
So right now I'd like to lead us in a special prayer to help prepare our hearts to take communion together. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bow before you in humility and ask you to examine our hearts today. Show us anything that's not pleasing to you and reveal any secret pride and any unconfessed sin, any rebellion that's in our heart or unforgiveness that may be hindering our relationship with you. Because, Lord, when we come to you, we want to do that with um, humble and grateful hearts. And so, Lord, our desire, our desire is to live for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, first of all, I was not able to get my wafer out, so we'll pretend. Um, On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. The supreme sacrifice for all of our sin, past, present, and future. And because of his blood shed for us and his body given for us, we can be free from the power and penalty of sin. Thank you for his victory over death. He took the death we deserved. He took our punishment. And now, in Jesus, we have forgiveness, we have righteousness, and we have salvation. And today we remember and we come with arms stretched wide and hearts of worship as we celebrate the precious gift of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, Carolyn. Well, right now, folks, we have a uh, joy to have one more song to do uh, to lead you in. But before that, if you could take a moment to greet some folks around you, and we'll continue with our worship in, in just a second. Thank you so much.
All right, folks, let's make our way back to our seats. Grateful for the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper together with you and grateful to continue this theme of gratitude right now, this theme of, you know, the love of God being a gift. I want to pray for us as we start this next song. Lord, we want to approach this... uh, additional time of worship with a heart of gratitude, gratitude for who you are, for what you've done for us, for what you're continuing to do for us. Thank you for providing a Savior. Lord, thank you so much for for saving us, for rescuing us, as it says in Colossians, from the dominion of darkness, for bringing us into the kingdom of the Son that you love whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We are grateful for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, all together in our church, here we go. All my words are sure. I got nothing to do. How could I express all my gratitude? I could sing these songs as I often do. Every song must end, and you never do. So I throw up my hands, raise you again and again. Don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. 
comes up to continue his series on the Holy Spirit. A couple of things. Uh, so we've mentioned uh, quite, for quite a while now about uh, the small groups that we have going on. And I want to just remind you that, that they're still going on and that there's always an empty seat, an, an empty chair for you. If you haven't plugged into a group yet, we're taking, and Joy, your starts today, right? Yes. Ladies group starts this afternoon at her house, I believe at four o'clock. So we have a, a, a women's group on Sunday afternoons. We have a men's group on Thursday evenings, uh, although it's Wednesday this week. And we've got a couple of co-ed groups going on as well. And it's a fantastic opportunity. Um, you know, last week, Pastor Gary talked about the importance of spiritual community. And small groups are a fantastic opportunity for you to experience that and to do kind of a, a deeper dive into what we're, what, we, what we're discussing now about and talking now about the 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 book of Acts and the Holy Spirit. So I encourage you to, to dive in and get, and get plugged into one if you haven't already. The second thing I want to mention is a week from today, um, on the, the, the first Sunday of every month, we gather here at 6.30 p.m. for a time of revival prayer. We sit around and I pull out this and we worship together and we take time to humbly surrender to the Lord and pray for revival for our own lives, our families, our church, our community, the global church, because 
Revival is really only something that God can do. It's not something that we can muster out of our own human strength. It's something that only God can do. And so we come together and we we make that a priority and we do that. And I want to just encourage you to join us at 630 next Sunday evening um, in that that, um, noble pursuit, that necessary pursuit of revival prayer. And finally, uh, Carrie, you can make your way up if you'd like. I want to mention... um, uh, so, you know, yeah, it was my birthday yesterday, and we went to a uh, Ristorante, uh, is it Alegria or Allegria? Alegria? Okay. In Napa, had a wonderful meal, and speaking of meals, on Father's Day, June 18th, we're going to share a meal together. June 18th, fried chicken potluck. Please uh, make time to join us. We talked a lot about last week about Acts chapter 2, and... The breaking of bread mm-hmm. and fellowship together, mm-hmm. and that's what that is going to be about that day. And if you would like to participate and bring a side dish or a dessert, we do have a sign-up sheet on the table by the front door. We'd be honored to have you join us and stick around that day and just share a meal together and do life together. So make uh, put that on your calendar. We'd love to have you join us for that. I'm done. Okay. It's you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I, to me, I, I was kind of, for me, it was kind of fun, Carolyn, when you were saying that, you know, can I tell everybody it's the big five O? And I'm sorry, all I can think of is I'm over here and want to say, you know, book them, Dano, you know, Hawaii five O. I'm going to start calling you Mississippi five O. So, yeah, yeah. And then also, did you mention yesterday was your anniversary? Isn't that awesome? Yeah, Matt and Carolyn. 28 years. Yeah, 28 years, 28 years. <laughs> well, PC made a comment about that. Uh, last This last week, Joy and I, we celebrated 32 years. And uh, so, yeah, PC, who's going to be with us next week, uh, made a comment on my Facebook uh, that more congratulations for Joy than for me uh, for basically enduring uh, 32 years with me. But, uh, yeah, awesome. 32 years, 28 years. Um, so... Hey, we are right in the middle of, the, uh, of a series on the book of Acts, and does anybody know what today is, other than the day after, Ke- or after Matt's birthday? I started to say Caleb. That's right. It's Pentecost Sunday. Awesome. Fantastic. Yeah, Pentecost. And, uh, you know, Pentecost, uh, what Pentecost is, is it was 50 days after Passover, and it was uh, Pentecost Sunday. Uh, was the, the day that God poured out his spirit uh, on, on uh, the people of God, upon Christians. He poured out his spirit on them, and it was on that day that the church was born. And so right now, we're right in the middle of the book of Acts, and we're looking at and we're talking about the things that happened shortly after the uh, death, the resurrection of Jesus and the Bible tells us that Jesus appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days with many convincing proofs uh, and that he taught them about the kingdom of God, which we're going to be talking about today. And uh, But one of the things that Jesus told them is he told them to wait in Jerusalem for what the Father promised. And in, in Acts 1-8, one of the things that, that Jesus told his disciples was, he said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when we celebrate Pentecost Sunday, what we are celebrating is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer in Jesus, 
If you have surrendered your life to him, if you have asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, then God gave you. You were born again spiritually, and God gave you his Holy Spirit. And uh, the reason that God has given us his spirit is to be witnesses for him right where we are and everywhere we go. That's basically what Acts 1-8 is saying. But you will see power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? That's where they were. But then from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and then from there to the uttermost parts of the earth. So when you read through the book of Acts, the first seven chapters talks about the witness of the early Christians, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, their witness in Jerusalem. Then chapters 8 through 12 tell us about uh, the witness of these early Christians in Judea and, and in Samaria. And then in chapters 13 to 28, it talks about how they became witnesses for Jesus to the uttermost ends of the earth. So then in chapter 28, they end up in Rome. And when Jesus first said these words, uh, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. At that time, the ends of the earth was Fairfield, California. Okay? It was right here. It was right here. But for you and me, this is our Jerusalem. And this is where God wants us to be witnesses uh, for him. So I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Can you do this, please? And I'm going to ask you to read this verse with me aloud. Can we do this? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. One more time. Let's read that again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Okay, fantastic. Y'all can have a seat. Appreciate you doing that. So basically, basically what Jesus is saying is that when God gave us his spirit, he gave us his spirit to give us power to be witnesses for him right where we at and everywhere we go. And we are witnesses for Christ by the way that we live. We are witnesses, witnesses for Christ by the things that we say. So that when we are walking by the Spirit, when we are living in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, then we begin to see the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in our lives. When we begin to walk by the Spirit, what happens is people see a very compelling reason to follow Jesus. When you and I walk in fellowship with the Spirit, when people see in you and me love, real love, okay? Now, sometimes, sometimes non-Christians, when they look at the church, they don't see love. Sometimes they see judgment, all right? But when they see in you and me, when they see love, when they see joy, when they see peace instead of turmoil, when they see patience instead of impatience, kindness instead of unkindness, goodness when they see faithfulness, that we follow through on the things that we say, when they, they see in us gentleness, when they see in us self-control, what happens is we give them a very compelling reason to know more about Jesus. And that's a lot of what it looks like to be a witness. And we're going to continue uh, to look at this. After this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us that, that for those early disciples, that they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread in prayer. And that's what it looks like to be church, a church, that we are supposed to be continually devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, 
to fellowship. I, sometimes people will tell me they don't really need the church to follow Jesus. And I'm like, okay, how do you fellowship all by yourself? Okay, how do you live out the scriptures all by yourself? How do you live out loving one another all by yourself? How do you live out building one another up and edifying one another all by yourself? And so I really believe that it is crucial for us to live out our faith in a dynamic Christian community. And that's what God intended the church to be. Uh, today we'll, um, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 3. And uh, before we get into this, let, real quickly, I just want to tell you a story from my own personal life. Uh, probably, wow, man, it's been a long time ago. Back in 1979, I was in the Philippines. I spent a summer there. I was working. I was doing some missionary work. And uh, at the time, I was living in Cebu, which is in the Visayas, uh, one of the islands in the middle part of the Philippines, Luzon's to the north, Mindanao's down to the south, and all the islands in between are the Visayas. And, and I was in Cebu, in Cebu City, and I remember that we used to take uh, we used to take these jeepneys. If you've ever been to the Philippines, you know what I'm talking about. But where they took these old jeeps left over from World War II, and uh, they really, you know, they like uh, decorated them and made them pretty bright and shiny and all that kind of good stuff. And it was the way you would get around. You know, you'd pay a couple of pesos and you'd, you'd take a jeepney from one part of the city to another part of the city. And I remember that every day we used to go over to uh, the University of Cebu where we were telling college young people about Jesus. Uh, and I was 19 years old at the time, and I remember we were doing this. But I remember taking this jeepney day after day going to the University of Cebu and I, I remember that on my ride, I always saw this one guy. And I, I, even today, I cannot get the image of this man out of my mind. And, um, and he, was, um, he was kneeling. He was on his knees, and he had a walking stick by him. But he was on his knees. He had no eyes, and he was begging. And... Growing up in Arkansas as a kid, I'd never seen the kind of poverty that I saw in the Philippines. I had never seen anyone who had to beg just to be able to live one more day. Just to live one more day. Uh, in, in the ancient world, if a person was, if a person had some kind of, of, um, some kind of handicap like this, if they had uh, some kind of, of uh, infirmity like this, like they were lame or they were blind, things like this. In the ancient world, in much of the ancient world, what they would do is when a baby was born like this, they would discard the baby. They would actually put it on a trash heap and let the baby die. Did you all know that? That's the way life was in the ancient world. Uh, the ancient world was a very cruel place to be born with some kind of disability. It was a very cruel place. And, uh, and, and one of the things that set Israel apart from the rest of the ancient world is they would not discard their children. They would actually uh, keep them and take care of them. But even to have a disability in ancient Israel was something that was, um, it just, it, it, it wasn't just like a physical reality for you did if you had a disability you weren't even allowed to enter the temple to worship you couldn't enter the temple you could stay at the gates of the temple 
where you could beg, but you could not enter the temple. And uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to read through a story in Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 3, verse 1. And before I read this text for you, is, is just real quickly, two things. First of all, I want to remind you, in Acts chapter 2, I talked about how the church came together and how they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. And what the Bible says is, is, is says in Acts 2 that, that, um, it says that everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And what we're going to read about here today in chapter 3 is Part of that awe, the wonders, the signs that were being done by the apostles. This, this is the first example of that. But before reading this text, what I want to encourage you to do, please, is just open your hands like this, uh, palms facing up. You can lay your hands in your lap if that helps you. But what I want you to do is I want this to be a symbol as we come to God right now and pray. And right now, with your hands wide open to God, I want this to represent for us that we want to surrender to God everything, anything that is distracting us from hearing his word. God, today, right now, we want to surrender to you to anything that is distracting us from hearing what you have to say to us. Today, Lord, what we want to do is we want to surrender to you any, every idol of the heart, every besetting sin that keeps us from following Jesus wholeheartedly. Today, we want to surrender that to you. And God, today, we come to you with hands wide open, with arms wide open, to receive from you whatever it is that you want to give to us. God, we, we recognize and we, we proclaim with you that there is nothing better that we can cling to in this life that is better than you. God, you are our Father. We are your children. And today we enter your presence humbly. Lord, help us to receive whatever it is you want to give to us. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand. Help us to humbly receive the word implanted that is able to save our souls. And I pray this in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 says this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. But the ancient Israelites, they would, would gather together at the temple three different times a day uh, for the purpose of prayer and the purpose of sacrifice. And so Peter and John, there it says in verse 2, Now, a man was lame from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Uh, the temple courts, the, 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 these gates were a great place for someone who had a disability uh, to beg. And the particular gate that, that this beggar went to, he went there every day. The Bible tells us in chapter 4 that he had been in this condition for 40 years. 40 years. For 40 years he had been in this condition. And his daily practice was to go to the temple to the gate called Beautiful. Josephus tells us that this gate, it was awesome. It was like fantastic. I know, you know, for us gates may not seem that way. But back in ancient Israel, their gates were pretty awesome. And this one was called Beautiful. It was 75 feet tall. That's like seven and a half stories tall. It's like a tall building. And it was, um, it was 60 feet wide. Sixty feet wide, according to Josephus. 
And and this particular gate was called beautiful because of the way it was covered with bronze, that it was the most beautiful gate that entered into the temple complex. It was a very strategic strategic place to be if you were a beggar, because what would happen is when people would go there to this temple to worship God, they would see the beggar. And a part of their worship was to give alms or to give uh, special help or money to those who were poor in, in conditions like this. And verse 3. When he, this lame beggar, saw Peter and John, the two disciples of Jesus, when he saw them about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him. You ever look away from someone when they're homeless? I've been guilty of that. Peter and John, they looked straight at him. Then Peter said, look at us. They wanted full attention here, full focus. You know, they didn't want, they didn't want this man looking around at all the other people. But what Peter wanted is he wanted complete focus of this man. And so the man gave Peter his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped the man up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. The Bible says he jumped to his feet, began to walk. Then he went out with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit. Remember, every day he would go here. Every day people would walk by him. Every day. They knew this was the man. This was not something that was done in a corner. This was something that was done in public where everyone could see. This wasn't someone faking a condition, pretending to be healed. This is something that was undeniable. Everyone recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, I've never seen that kind of a healing before. Uh, we're we're going to talk about this more in a moment. But it was something uh, for these people that when they saw it, it was like, I mean, if you saw something like this, if I saw something like this, I'd kind of want an explanation, wouldn't you? I mean, let's pretend, let's go back to the Philippines in 1979. Uh, let's pretend for a moment that Peter's there with me and he says, hey, stop the jeepney, let's get off. And Peter says, hey, Gary, come with me. And if Peter walked over to that man and he said to that man, you know, silver and gold I don't have. I don't have any U.S. dollars, don't have any Filipino pesos. But what I do have, I give to you. Open your eyes and see. And if suddenly, in that moment, he had eyes in his eye sockets, and he was able to see, and it was undeniable, that would get my attention. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only person who used to see that man. 
I'm pretty sure that every single person who walked past him every day, if they suddenly saw him with eyes in his eye sockets, able to see, it would be a life-changing moment. Everybody would want to know, what is this about? And that's what the Bible tells us here in verse 12. It says, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished. They came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Now, to me, that's kind of a stupid question. Well, it it surprises me because you don't see this kind of thing happening every day, right? Why, why, why does this surprise you? Why, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or our godliness, we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, this, the way that Peter here speaks of God is very, very important. Remember, the people he's speaking to here are Jews. They're Jews. They, they follow the way. They worship the way. They worship the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Abraham lived roughly 2,000 years before this event. And God had made a covenant with Abraham. God had told Abraham that he was going to make him uh, and make his descendants many. By the way, Abraham means father of many. Okay? And, 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 and God had said that, that through him... All the nations and all people on earth would be blessed. And then God, what God did was he, he with, with Isaac and with Jacob, he repeated that covenant. He said, I'm going to do this through you, all the peoples, all through your seed. By the way, the word that he used was seed or descendant or offspring. Through your seed, all the peoples on earth will be blessed. And so what, what, what Peter does here is he says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the covenant-keeping God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. And, and if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, this is part of the challenge in reading the Bible. Sometimes people don't really know the Old Testament. So they miss the fact that many, much of what's said in the New Testament reflects what's written in the Old Testament. See, if, if you were familiar with the Old Testament and you hear the word servant spoken of Jesus, you would immediately go back to the book of Isaiah, written around 700 years before Jesus, where God had said that he would raise up a servant, a servant, that this servant would be one who, um, that would one day carry the sins of, of, of all people. In Isaiah 53, it says that, that all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid the iniquity, the sin of us all on him, the servant. And so, and so Peter's speaking to them with a lot of Old Testament imagery and language. And he's saying that the covenant-keeping God of, of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has glorified his servant, the servant, the suffering servant of Isaiah, Jesus. You handed him over. You, meaning the Jews, handed him, meaning Jesus, over to be killed, over to the Romans. You disowned him. You, the Jews, you disowned Jesus before Pilate. Pilate wanted to let him go. But you disowned him. 
Though he, Pilate, decided to let him go. You disown the holy and righteous one. The holy and righteous one. This is, this is Messiah, messianic uh, terms. You, <clears throat> you disown the holy and righteous one. And you asked that a murderer be released to you. Uh, think about that. It's so interesting. Is, is Pilate said, this man is innocent. He hasn't done anything deserving of death. When Jesus was on the cross and, and one thief was ridiculing Jesus, the other thief said, hey, what are you doing? We deserve to die here. This man is an innocent man. And when Jesus breathed his last, one of the centurions said of Jesus, surely this man was an innocent man. Surely he was the son of God. And, and, and so what they have done is they have condemned an innocent man and asked for the release of a murderer, a killer, a heartless, cold-blooded, killing people murderer. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked the murderer to be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. That's good news, folks. God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. This is 50 days, or, well, at this point in time, we don't know exactly how long after Pentecost this was, but this is shortly after the death and resurrection of Jesus. God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. Uh, verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. Now, now real, real quickly here, it says by faith, faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. Whose faith is he talking about here? Okay? Is he talking about the faith? Is he talking about the faith of the man, of the lame beggar? And, and that's highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. First of all, the lame beggar wasn't even seeking healing. This is the way we are sometimes. Sometimes we seek one thing when in reality we need something very, very different. Sometimes we seek from God one thing when in reality we need something far better. Uh, This man was looking to Peter and he was looking to John and he was asking for and seeking money. But he was given healing. We're not talking about the faith of the lame beggar. He wasn't even looking at being healed. It's the faith of Peter and the faith of John in Jesus and what Jesus can do. This is the reason I get really upset with, like, the Word of Faith movement and people who come out of it who are like, if you just believe God, you would be healed. And I'm like, well, how about you believe God and they be healed? Let's see your faith. You're saying their faith, the reason they're not healed is because of their lack of faith. I think it's because of your lack of faith. If they're really going to live out what they say they believe, they need to be healing people regardless of the faith of people who are sick. Sorry if I got off on a soapbox, but it just kind of irritates me. By faith in the name of Jesus, our faith, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name. And the faith that comes through him, through Jesus, that has completely healed him, as you can all see. And Peter continues, he says, Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. 
But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold to all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Hmm. I, I want to stop. Um, what I want you to understand here is when he says all the prophets, he's saying that all of Scripture was speaking to us about the coming of Jesus. Basically, what he's saying is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that the prophets said. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. In verse 19, then, then what, what Peter does is he says, repent, repent then, and turn to God. Now, you know, sometimes that word repent, it's kind of an interesting word, you know. If someone says to you, repent, Rudy, repent. I could do that with Rudy. Repent, okay? Uh, if I'm saying that in a condescending way, if I'm saying that in a self-righteous way, it, it's like, it's kind of offensive. Uh, but think of it like this. What does it mean to repent? It means to have a change in thinking, a change in attitude, okay? It's like this. You ever been in a, a community that you're not real familiar with and you're trying to get on the freeway? Has this ever happened to you? You ever get on a freeway meaning to go north, but you find yourself going south? You ever get on a freeway going west when you meant to go east? <laughs> you know, I, it's kind of like if someone doesn't know our community and they're trying to go to San Francisco, but they actually get on Interstate 80 going east. And they get to Sacramento. And they're like, well, how much further is it to, to San Francisco? And people say, well, it's about 70 miles, you know, 70 miles. You know, but they stay on Interstate 80 going east. And, and they, they get to Nevada. How much further is it to San Francisco? And they get to Utah. And they get to Wyoming. And finally they end up in Atlantic City. And they're like, where's San Francisco? Uh, it's about 3,000 miles that, that way. That, that, that we need to repent. We need to get moving in the right direction. That's what repentance is. It's about changing the way we think about sin, the way we think about righteousness, and the way we think about God. By the way, by the way, by the way, the people who need to repent here are not irreligious people. The people who need to repent in this passage are very religious people. The people who need to repent in this text are toxically religious people. Do you understand that? He's telling religious people, repent. See, repentance is something that religious people need to do. I need to do it. When I become aware that maybe the way I'm relating to joy is either uh, ungracious, then I need to repent. If the way I'm interacting with another person is discouraging instead of encouraging, I need to repent. See, that, that repentance is something that every healthy follower of Jesus should be doing. And repentance, repentance is also something that every unbelieving person needs to do. We need to repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that you may send the Messiah, that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. By the way, Jesus is coming again. Did you know that? Jesus is coming again. That's why we need to repent. It's like when I was a kid and my mom would say, when dad gets home. I knew when mom said, when dad gets home, it meant I needed to repent. I needed to change. Yeah. Jesus is coming again. 
at verse 21, Peter says, Heaven must receive him, Jesus, until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. The prophets, the Old Testament scriptures, spoke of this future coming of the Lord. In verse 22, Moses said, Peter quotes Moses, he said, Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among your own people. If you go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, God told Israel, this was around 1400 B.C. Can you say 1400 B.C.? 1400 years before Jesus. Moses predicted that a prophet was coming. Guess who the prophet was? Jesus. 1,400 years before the birth of Jesus, Moses had said, Moses had said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. By the way, that's the Great Commission. Teaching people to obey all that he, Jesus, has commanded us. Um, you must listen to everything that he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. By the way, folks, there is a coming judgment. And Peter is telling us a time of judgment is coming. A time of judgment is coming. Jesus is coming again. A time of judgment is coming. And every person who refuses to repent and every person who refuses to believe in Jesus will be cut off. Now, I know some people, they don't like to believe in hell. But the Bible tells us that a time of judgment is coming. And, and we can't dodge it. We can't dodge it. Verse 24, Peter says this, Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets, all the Old Testament, have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophet. You are the one who are heirs of what the prophets told us. And of the covenant of God. What covenant? The covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, your seed, your descendant, all peoples on earth will be blessed. See, Jesus is the seed going all the way back to Genesis chapter uh, 12, going back 2,000 years before. God had told Abraham that he was going to raise up a seed, a descendant, through whom every nation on earth would be blessed. See, every time a person receives Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they repent, they turn from their unbelief, and they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they surrender to Him, they experience incredible blessing. And in verse 26, Peter says, When God raised up His servant, Jesus, He sent Him first to you. So Jesus comes first to the Jews, but then later He comes to the Gentiles. We'll see that as we work our way through Acts. He sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Now, remember again, turning people from their wicked ways. We're not talking about wicked secular people. We're not talking about wicked irreligious people. We are talking about people who are wickedly and toxically religious. 
anytime our religion, anytime we have a sense of we're better than other people because of our religion, anytime we are looking down on someone else like we are better than they are because of our faith, anytime we think that we are better than other people because of our, behavior, you know, our good behavior, we are beginning to live legalistically and pridefully. By the way, pride is always a sin. It's always a sin. And thinking that I'm going to earn my way to God by religiously attending church, thinking I'm going to earn my way to God by religiously, toxically reading the Bible or anything else, means I'm trusting in me and my works instead of trusting in Jesus and his good work. And there needs to be repentance. Wow. Uh, so, very quickly, I'm sorry, I went long there. I went long there. you got a lot of blanks. We're not going to do all the blanks, okay? Uh, well, let me just tell you really, really quickly. The purpose of the miracle in, 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 in verses 1 through 11 is that it demonstrated the power and authority of Jesus. It confirmed the authority of the apostles, okay? So, it demonstrated the power and authority of Jesus. It confirmed the authority of the apostles. When you see someone do what God did through Peter on this occasion. It tells you that Jesus has authority and power and also shows that the apostles had actual authority. Okay? Uh, it attracted the attention of the crowd and created an opportunity to proclaim Christ. I mean, when the people see the miracle, what do they do? They come together. They want to know what's going on. So it attracted the attention of the crowd. It created an opportunity to proclaim Christ. And it encouraged people to put their faith in Jesus because of the authority of his name to heal. Man, I wish I could do miracles like that. I can't. But that doesn't mean we can't pray for God to do the miraculous. But in this case, what God was doing was, yeah, he was alleviating the suffering of this man. But he was also demonstrating the power and authority of Jesus and confirming the authority of the apostles, which we were reading about in chapter 2. The point of, of Peter's sermon is, first of all, it, it was through faith in Christ that the lame man was completely healed. Remember where he said that? I closed my Bible. Why did I do that? Um, it was, um, you know, Peter says, uh, he says to the people, first of all, he says, you know, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? Uh, he, he says, no, nope, it, it's, in, uh, it's in verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. So it is through faith in Christ that the lame man was completely healed. Secondly, we see the covenant God of Israel glorified his servant Jesus. It was the God of, of Abraham, uh, the God of Isaac, Jacob. Um, that he, he speaks of here um, in what verse? I don't know. I'm lost. It's in there somewhere. Uh, the, yeah, verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. That he glorified Jesus. Uh, third, Jesus whom the Jews rejected is the Messiah. Uh, fourth, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. This is something that Peter wanted them to see. He wanted them to see that Jesus is what the Old Testament was about. And then what he said to the people, he says here that all people need to repent and turn to God so that they will be forgiven and spiritually renewed. So very quickly, talking about you and me, you and me, how do we take this text? How should this text shape the way we live and how we think and our attitudes today? 
And I'm going to tell you five things. Number one, God wants us to show compassion to those who are suffering, suffering and marginalized. This man was suffering because he was lame. And this man was marginalized because he was imperfect. He was lame. And we should show the same. You know, we may not be able to do the miracle that Peter did here, but we can always show compassion to people who need it, people who are suffering, people who are marginalized. Number two, if you're not a Christian, God wants you to repent. He wants you to repent. He wants you to quit driving towards Atlantic City. Hell. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you can say that San Francisco is heaven. But he wants you to repent. He wants you to change in the way you think about sin, how you think about righteousness, how you think about God. He wants you to turn to Jesus and be saved so that your sins will be forgiven. Uh, Number three, God wants us to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the scriptures. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the scriptures. Um, number four, God wants you and me to be able to show others how Jesus is the fulfillment of all the scriptures. And I know some of you are like, I can't do that. I can't show people how Jesus is the fulfillment uh, of all the scriptures. Was anybody here with us two weeks ago? Was anybody here when Dave Gudgel was here? Do you remember how he showed us the teaching of all the Bible in 15 pictures? Doggone it. I meant to bring copies of his little booklet with me today, and I left them at the house. I should have put it in my car instead of putting it by the door. Um, anyway, uh, but you can watch that service from two weeks ago. I, it's in your notes. I, I gave you where you can watch it. It starts at 33.03 in that, the service. But you can watch that, and he will show you and teach you the entire Bible in, in, in 15 pictures and what the Bible says about Jesus and what the Bible says about salvation. Uh, but we, we have that. Uh, number five, God wants us to encourage people to repent, repent and turn to him for forgiveness of their sins. Now, now, folks, to repent means to change one's mind, purpose, attitude concerning sin and righteousness and to return to God. That, that when we, um, I, I, I think that what we're talking about is we want to encourage people to have a change in thinking. You know, I'd like to encourage you to think differently about God. I'd like to encourage you to think differently about righteousness and how we're made righteous with God. I'd like you to think differently, and I'd like you to turn to God, turn to Jesus. And this is the message we're supposed to proclaim to people. We're supposed to proclaim to people that that we want to think... Uh, we want to think that we want to turn from an old lifestyle to a better life, a new life that we can have in Jesus. Um, we've got run long. I apologize. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come on back up. Uh, let me lead us in prayer. God, <clears throat> what we want is we do want to be a compassionate people. We want to care deeply for those who are suffering. We want to care deeply for those who are marginalized. Uh, Lord, um, I do pray for anybody who is here this morning. I pray for anybody who may be watching uh, this message, uh, either through YouTube or on Facebook, uh, that anybody who's not yet, um, who's not yet made the decision 
to turn from their sin and to turn to you. I pray that today they will do that. God, I, I pray that you would help us to better understand how Jesus is the fulfillment, the center point of all Scripture. And Lord, I want us to learn this in such a way that we are able to share that message with other people. And God, help us, help us to proclaim the message of repentance, but to do it with a spirit of, of, of gentleness, to do it with a spirit of humility and not self-righteousness, but to point people to Jesus and the salvation that's in him. And I pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Gary, thank you so much. Before we close out today, speaking of pointing people to Jesus and the salvation that's found in Him, that's our mission. Um, as a church, to invite people to follow Jesus. And that's why we give. And we want to worship God with our giving at this time. And we just want to thank everyone who faithfully gives to that mission, that mission of making disciples, that mission of inviting people to follow Jesus and pointing people if you're not already giving, uh, there's a few. If you'd like to know how you can begin, there are a few different ways you can do it. And they are mentioned here on the screen. You can uh, um, use the, the SBC app that we have. If you don't have our app, you can download it from Google Play or from the App Store, and you can give that way. You can give on our website as well. Uh, if you uh, have a physical check you'd like to uh, use, we have a mail slot in the wall behind our sound booth that you can use. But ultimately, whatever route you choose, it's all about worship. That's why we do it. So thank you very much for everyone who, who gives faithfully to that mission. And I want to invite you to stand with us as we do our, our closing song here. We want to remind ourselves again that our God is awesome. Yeah.